politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing guard to fight anew our life, our liberty, property, civilization, quality of life, everything that matters. It's all on the table here at CR Podcast. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here in the house where we collaborate together. It's Wednesday, the 11th of January. So much to focus on, so many important issues, state, federal, we're going to cover it all. Here's the thing, we now have the tools, the, the, the political weapons. Will we fire them? Well, they're only as good as our best members in state legislatures, county councils, and Congress. We have the tools, we have the environment today. People are, there's so much disquiet, but people don't fully get it yet. Will we have our cadre of conservative leaders, supposed leaders, fight for us with those tools, that blueprint that was set forth in the speaker's fight? Not to be potted plants in the corner, but to raise our issues, our prerogatives, demonstrate the world according to our vision, what it would look like through oversight and through legislation, And use that to force cathartic inflection points with, of course, red-pilling the people. That is all we can do. And that's what we're going to continue doing here. And that's the beauty. We don't yet have to get into a shooting war, which hopefully we never will. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to accomplish this. But you got to give a broad vision. Last night, Republicans lost the seat in the Virginia State Senate. In Virginia Beach, the quintessential location that you need to win in a a general election, national election, they were one seat away from getting a trifecta. They have the House, the governor, and Democrats had a a 21 to 19 majority in the Senate. Now it's 22 to 18. And I don't know the details of a special election, but the point is Republicans don't have a broad vision. That's what we learned last election. But the Democrats or in general, there's too much inflation and Biden corruption is not going to be enough. You have to demonstrate what is wrong with our lives, what's causing it, who's causing it, and how we will bring civilization change to it. And this is my concern. Are we going to focus on the issues that matter? I'm going to get busy and and create these lists, and I need you to help me populate them. Some of you have sent me great ideas We're going to come up each issue, military, medical freedom, immigration, energy, you name it. What are things that would grab the people that would actually be achievable and better the lives, the values, the security, the safety of a generation of Americans? It's that simple. The sky is the limit in terms of what we could accomplish policy-wise. The left has given us that opportunity that we can now floor the gas pedal. So I'm going to need you guys to sign up at conaction.network if you want to be one of our team leaders in red state legislatures or other things going on in states who could get involved in elections as well. Or if you just want to join, then we'll send your names to the team leader, but I got to find team leaders first. At this point, if we fail, it will be our own guys not utilizing the tools they have, the messaging they have. This is what it's all about. You know, I see today Republicans are starting the legislative session in Congress with 
You guessed it, abortion. And you know I have a nuanced opinion on this. Obviously, I'm as anti-abortion as the next conservative. But is this the issue we should continue priming the pump and continue coming back to almost to a fault um, and not focus on the bigger pro-life issue? My, my, my parents just told me they, they just went to a funeral, 41-year-old, um, son of a friend, 41-year-old just dropped dead. You're seeing it everywhere. A major political reporter dropped dead and like 40 years old. A conservative litigator, I looked at like he was born in 1974. I've never seen this before. And we're a little bit behind in the data, but if you follow my Twitter account and RM Conservative, throughout the day I'm still putting out stuff on COVID, vaccines, different things. The macro data, you can't deny it. This is the biggest pro-life issue. There is an imminent need to get ahead of this. Diagnose and formulate treatments to prevent the spike protein from doing harm, but then also politically to stop the mRNA agenda and the vaccination agenda and the biomedical tyranny agenda and the transhumanist agenda. I'm not really seeing this enough. So, I mean, look, I could tell you when we get the names of those on the select subcommittee for coronavirus under House Oversight Committee, that's James Comer from Kentucky, I'm going to be all over those members, and and I need you to as well. But I'm not seeing enough focus on that. Oh, COVID is over with. No, it's not. Not that aspect of it. You might say lockdowns are, but ironically, that's actually what they're going to focus on in terms of their oversight agenda, which is kind of old hat, as, as terrible as it was. Why is Latipo the only health director of all red states out there every day bashing the shots? Big, big ticket issues. Liability for pharma. Things that will move the Overton window. That's what I want to see. That is so much bigger of a pro-life issue. When you have Moderna out there talking about more mRNAs, not just vaccines, but other therapeutics they're going to push on heart and melanoma for cancers you can't escape this bill gates wants to put it in animals so it's everyone's going to have it this is a forced abortion and i spoke to a friend and i'm, I'm hearing this i called conservative friends in le- state legislatures and i'm like hey you know we we have an opportunity for agenda i want to send you some of my agenda items and they're like yeah you know we need to push uh you know, abortion stuff. I'm like, well, didn't you ban it in your state already? Well, we need to chase people across state lines and lock up the mothers and give the death penalty. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you get my point. It's like, dude, I mean, it's a little bit too lopsided and imbalanced in terms of our priorities and, you know, the cost-benefit analysis, you know, politically as well. I just, I don't get it. But they're going to keep priming the pump on the old issues, if we don't at least create a greater focus on the issues that matter. I mean, I'm in a county, they're considering now a bill to wipe out all plastic bags. So you'll have a mother with a toddler like my wife, you know, going shopping, and you can't have bags. These are people who want bags on your breathing holes, but not for your groceries. You can't share a country with these people. That's another thing. You need a categorical agenda banning all global warming and general environmental um, regs and restrictions and subsidies and mandates 
that destroy the quality of life, create supply chain shortages, and raise the cost of vital goods and services. That will grab people. Do something categorical. We're going to come up with a good list on energy and environment. It is going to be a big focus of ours this year. That is the next COVID. It's not the next one. It's already there. I mean, this is when you talk about life and liberty. Those issues, the vaccines, the green agenda, the transhumanism. That's what we need to focus on. It's kind of interesting. Speaking of, let me just give you another example. An example of, you know, speaking of losing elections and Republicans can't seem to gain traction, even in an environment that, that, that they should be crushed in and they're losing these special elections. Everyone's talking about the FAA shutdown. All flights are grounded as of this hour. Obviously, uh, butt plugs or butt gang, whatever the Department of Tra- uh, Transportation Secretary is, um, he might be too focused on his sodomy or grabbing adopted kids against their own will to live in that disgusting home. Um, but maybe it's the $20 million they spent on racial equality, inclusion, income inequality, environmental justice, and climate change that ensured they don't focus on their core mission. But it got me thinking, air travel really affects everyone. Almost everyone. And now would be a good time to have a bill to abolish the TSA or at least severely reform it and create a bill of rights for air travelers. I'm telling you, that is the type of thing, the betterment of human life and liberty that, but not just in an abstract way. We've already learned, unfortunately, Americans don't care about abstract liberties. But I'm talking about this is something everyone can relate to. These are the sorts of things they need to focus on. Not the Biden corruption and the Democrat corruption as an end to itself, as a means on policy. So I want to get straight to it today with our guest, one of the lead fighters on um, – you know, one of the 20 members that fought for us to, to examine some of these tools, some of these tools that at least in Congress we have, and to see how we could use them on the issues we care about. This interview today is sponsored by Better Spectacles. As I give you a 2020 vision on policy and politics, make sure you can actually see straight. Um, Better Spectacles is the only conservative American company that offers eyewear. They're also the only company offering authentic German Rodenstock eyewear, the gold standard of the industry. Their big or biometric intelligence glasses is an example of using technology not to uh, destroy our body, but to help us using more than 7,000 points in the eye. They were able to create lenses with a seamlessly natural experience that works perfectly with your brain and gives you the sharpest vision. This is how I operate intellectually at my top level every day because of my Rodenstock frames from Better Spectacles. My wife is actually also um, doing that this week. She's getting new uh, glasses. So go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment today. You don't even have to leave your home. Don't settle with your eyesight. Go big with biometrical intelligence glasses from Better Spectacles. Great eyeglasses change lives. Betterspectacles.com slash conservative. That's betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So, folks, over the years, we've had some of the terrific fighters on this show very often. Our good friends, Andy Biggs, Chip Roy, Thomas Massey. 
I want to introduce you guys to someone we haven't had on before, but you really need to get to learn who this man is. Dan Bishop, North Carolina's 8th Congressional District from Mecklenburg County. He was really very instrumental in taking this fight, or what I call this surgery that needed to be done, to the forefront and actually achieving good outcomes. He's been in Congress for a couple of years, and he previously served in a term in the North Carolina House, North Carolina Senate. If you remember, he was one of the lead sponsors of the bill to actually preserve sanity in our bathrooms, to keep men out of female bathrooms. And that's something that, again, Republicans shied away from ever since then. Now, we're gaining momentum again. He was ahead of his time. He also served in county government. So county, state, federal has the full picture there and really is one of the new superstars on the field. Congressman Bishop, thanks so much for joining us today for the first time at Blaze Media. Thank you, Daniel. It's a it's a great honor to join you. I mean, I've been out listening to you for reading you for many years. And, you know, you, for me, epitomize what we need and the contrast from what we don't need. And I think that's largely what this last week has been about. And it, it ought to portend what happens in the future. We, we, need, we need more courage and we need less operating from a position of fear. I just think there's been so much preoccupation with doing the same thing the same way as we've always done and hoping for a different result, but it's basically because there's just fear that if we actually step out and and say, no, that's just not, I mean, the country can't put up with that any longer. We've got to do it a different way. We're going to go ahead and make progress now. Uh, there's so many that are just wringing their hands, and we've got to get that, we've got to tamp down that instinct and, and encourage courage. You know, I'm glad you, you framed it that way, less fear, because I mean, the reason why I'm excited about this, and I know, you know, some in my audience are still a little skeptical, but from my vantage point, you know, my, the way I earn a living is thinking of good ideas and trying to sell them, trying to push them. And the problem until now is that it doesn't matter how good the policy was. If it's one of the issues that the GOP is fearful of, it has a moniker of, racist, anti-vax, or whatever it is, you can't bring it up. doesn't matter the quality of research you do. So I want to talk about what some of those tools are to bring our voices to the forefront on a scale from 1 to 10. How do you think this surgery uh, went? You know, usually a doctor comes out, tells the family, all right, here's how I think the surgery went. So a week later, I want you to tell our audience, Dr. Bishop, for this uh, purpose, how did it go? Well, I don't want to demoralize anybody. Demoralize anybody as I say it. I'd say it's a six, maybe a seven. Um, I, I, I think we it would be a bad idea to get full of our own hydrogen sulfide over it. I mean, it <laughs> it, it was really important. Don't get me wrong about that. It was, you know, sort of almost existentially important that someone stand up and actually accomplish moving this thing somewhere off dead center. Yet. No one should have illusions that we've sort of or, or that we have illusions that we have reached the promised land and everything. And now we're just going to sort of watch all the problems melt away. We, we did some things. And if I can describe it briefly, sure. it, look, 
there, there were 20 of us. The five original who were courageous enough to go out and bear the constant beating for two months to say they were not going to vote for Kevin McCarthy. And then the rest of us who were working in the background to figure out what the whole effort would be. I was thrilled when we went on the floor with, you know, 18 and ended up 19. And then Byron Donalds joined at 20. Uh, and of course, toward the end, you know, I had some people when, when we came to an agreement, it was, Everything is about what you can accomplish in the moment. And there are blunders. There is a blunder or two uh, on our part in the process, looking at, and sure. I realized them as they occurred. But uh, what we did get, you know, and it's funny, a lot of this is lauded by our fellow members of the Republican conference as a great achievement. And they'll get <laughs> on a mic and they'll talk about how Kevin McCarthy achieved this great uh, advance. Um, well, no but, thanks but to but you. Oh, absolutely. But, but the, and I'm, there's a little physician, I hope your people or listeners are picking up that there's some facetiousness. And I, when I say that, but, uh, but the, there's, there were all nothing here, not one piece of it, not the first rule change other than maybe the magnetometer is going away at the entrances to the house or in the end of proxy voting, nothing of substance that we've done would have been achieved except for what, what we've, what has happened. So we've got, Historic changes to the rules that govern the House. We we did restore the motion to vacate that Nancy Pelosi had stripped out of the rules in effect. That's all we did, and many people who I was working with insisted on that. Um, there, we've got this idea that we're first going to, for the first time, frankly, bringing in single subjects to bills and requiring germaneness of amendments in order to keep try to keep the legislative monsters from. Uh, gaining their toehold, but believe me, that that's a waivable rule. The the Holman rule, where we're going to zero out offices within the federal government that are particularly obnoxious or, or officials, uh, a bona fide seventy-two hour rule, as opposed to some, you know, you say three legislative days and then it begins one minute before midnight, one day, and then one minute after midnight, and they call it three days. Um, things like that. All those rule changes are useful. Changes to the to the makeup of the rules committee, everything funnels through the rules committee to go yeah. to the floor. Uh, we're going to end up with several, three bona fide conservatives on that. Uh, and, and not just people that sort of uh, uh, talk the talk, but the ones who walk the walk, yeah. that'll be immensely important. A, a, an agreement, a comprehensive, fairly comprehensive agreement on budget constraints uh, for, so that we're, you know, we're going to cap, Spending for fiscal year 24 at 22 levels of non-discretion—excuse uh, uh, me, uh, uh, yeah—discretionary spending. Uh, we're going to the, the debt ceiling vote that's going to be coming by about June or July is going to be predicated upon uh, having a, a bicameral agreement with the Senate on how we're proceeding uh, to accomplish that goal. You know, that, that, that's not going to be easy, um, but that's the deal. Uh, and, and for me, get, get several pieces of legislation that get a vote on the floor that people are interested in seeing the, uh, congressional term limits bill, Texas border plan, which is a, a great idea, a great plan by Chip Roy, really, but the Texas delegation to get the border under, under some control, the fair tax ending the COVID emergency. And then the last item I've sort of held out, uh, is, this select committee on the weaponization of the federal government. I hope we'll come up with a better, better name for it quickly, but, uh, but uh, you know, they, they keep referring to it as a church committee. And then people say, what's church separation of church and state? <laughs> Not talking about that. We're, 
talking about Frank Church, a liberal Democrat from Idaho back in 1975 when he had the select committee in the Senate that that dug in for the first time in a, in a fairly aggressive way into what our intelligence community has been doing. Uh, they did both really foreign and domestic. Our focus is, uh, I think the deep state is far more powerful, far worse uh, now by all indications than it was then. And that was my assignment was to make sure that the, that the authorities conferred upon the select to be a select subcommittee in, under judiciary. Uh, uh, when, of course, J- Jim Jordan chairs judiciary, I don't know how they'll arrange personnel. I, I expect to be on that subcommittee as well as judiciary. Yeah, because you're on judiciary uh, but, now, so you're saying you would be on that subcommittee. You would be one of the members. So, you know, I was hoping it would be a separate committee, um, but yeah. at least it will have – so you, you could say with confidence it will be populated with the sorts of members – who would bring up some of the critical issues that until now, let me just give an example and I want to get your comment. One of the gripes with the from the conservative base is that, you know, January 6th was a classic example of there's an initial narrative about something that scares people into pursuing the truth. And then it kind of stays that way despite developing information that shows it's almost the exact opposite of what you thought. COVID's a great example. Ukraine's another example. The next big current thing will be the next example. But the point is that you have the most egregious perversion of justice to process um, going on with January 6th. And then now, now uh, one of the federal judges, uh, Thomas Hogan, who's been working on these cases, said he's retiring and DOJ is coming down with another thousand indictments that that means they're going to rope in people who weren't even there. I don't hear the GOP. They'll, they'll talk about the FBI in general being political. I don't hear them talking about that much. Do you have confidence that's the sort of issue you could raise on the committee? Yes. Um, I, I will say that the hard part about as one of the guys who's maybe the most rambunctious over here, the hard part about uh, January 6th is is nobody wants to be associated with or to ever be heard as blessing uh, <laughs> implicitly or otherwise, you know, people crashing in the doors. And, and sure. uh, but but it was a but it was, a, you know, it was a riot. Uh, it, it wasn't, uh, the, you, know, I've, you know, and so. But but once they take that toehold of sort of credibility damage, if you will, to the right, but and I don't think that's the way for us to advance our ball. But um, but once you get from that and they turn it into you know an insurrection and then there it's a it's a pogrom, if you will, a, a persecution of everybody who's who's uh, who's fed up with what's happening in Washington, really. Um, you know, that's got to stop. And, yeah. and I, I'm fa- I favor transparency. I want to see, you know, the, the, there have been promises from the leadership office that they're going to turn loose all of the stuff the January 6th committee had. Let's get it out there. Let it be crowdsourced. I, I, let people look at it and see what's going on. I'm tired of the secrecy. I, I don't think we're going to sit around anymore when Clay Higgins or Thomas Massey asks uh, Chris Ray, were there FBI agents on site before people entered the building? Was with these rumors that we hear that they just say, well, can't talk about an ongoing criminal investigation. We're going to find out what they're what they're doing. So what, what and, are you uh, going to do when they say that? When they come before the committee and they'll say it's an ongoing investigation, we can't comment. Uh, I, I don't know everything we're going to do, so I don't want to suggest that's a panacea either. We know that stonewalling is coming. They did it to the to Frank Church's committee. 
and they work some things through and it's sort of tedious that you, you know, you're asking for uh, documents, but uh, you're not going to get documents uh, in fulsome way. All of them, you, you get people, you start talking to people, you get them in, in frankly, in, in, uh, behind closed doors and start doing interviews under oath and and you you proceed as as uh, through people as as rapidly as you can and frankly away from the cameras to because the story will start coming out to us and uh so you got to dig you got to push you got to cajole you got to threaten uh and and we'll see but but you know i one thing that i think is you know I, as i say i i want to emphasize that we haven't achieved the resolution of the world's problems here. Yep. But when you, but you got to start, you have a lot of folks who think the same way you and I do with whatever shades there may be a difference between any of us, because we don't walk like lemmings. That's not what we do, but there's, there's a fairly strong vein of, of, of opinion out there that, uh, you know, whatever started, whatever's talked about, you guys are a bunch of clowns. You're not going to do anything and nobody's going to be held accountable. Yeah. And it's going to be the same yeah. old thing. And that is, uh, I, I'm not here to say there's not some substance to that sentiment, <laughs> but we might as well turn off the lights and just sort of submit to the tyranny if, exactly. if, if that's going to be added. And so I think the key is light the flame of demonstrated courage. Astonish everybody. And then keep doing it. You know what? That's what you talked about. My experience with the HB two bill in North Carolina. They thought when when that, when I emerged and when the special election came up in 2019, I ran for said I was going to run. And the press was like laughing. They were going, "This guy who who was the lead primary sponsor of HB two, who we you know just went and trashed with every uh, uh, barrel of ink we could spend." He's working. He's going to be destroyed by this. It was exactly the opposite because I was going out to places in North Carolina across the district that I've been served where people wanted somebody who would stand up and they don't particularly they're not persuaded by what media says when they lie about them. They know they're smart enough to figure that out. So my objective is to do what I was doing then. I don't want to look. I don't want to create needless sideshows. That would be stupid. I don't want to uh, destroy the Republican conference so I can go out and fundraise. That's not what it's about. It is because I don't think we can take much more no. as a country and just sort of stand still and and hold our, you know, wrap our arms around ourselves and, and tell how fearful we are that something. I think we got to try. And um, that was what the battle over who the speaker would be was about. Whether somebody had conviction and was prepared to go to the mat, and you know, you, you might have said that one one path to resolve that would be to get somebody else, and that certainly would have been one outcome. But what we have gotten is a set of terms and a means to enforce them. Yes, in a majority that is small enough that those with courage can have an impact, whether the rest of the conference wants us to or not. And what I'd like to see is instead of having 20, let's grow it to 30 or 50. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. A lot of people are wondering, is this a paradigm shift or was this a one-time shotgun marriage? In other words, 
Is this on? Obviously, now the goal is, hey, we're you know going to unite this week, start working on the issues. But if there are problems, you know that Republicans don't want to do categorical legislation, categorical oversight. If you know what I mean, just kind of like these one-offs. You know, I call them the motion to recommit style governance. Like, oh, yeah. you know, let's not grant amnesty to sex offenders. Well, you know, that's a good talking point. You know, don't right. allow China to get a hold of our strategic petroleum reserves. That's great. We all agree with it, but. Something categorical yep. on the entire lean green agenda that harms the uh, quality of products and the pricing for the American people. Big, big picture, big picture ideas. If they start having problems, um, do you have the confidence that you these 20 are more or less intact that you could get together and start forcing the issue again? So the 20 had some trouble, you know, toward the end. We had, the, frankly, the same five or six who were the brave ones at the up front. Uh, thought striking a deal at the time we reached an agreement was not the thing to do. Mm. I, I, we've got great affinity for one another. We're working through some of that. There's some people who, who are hurt and, and offended sure. by how things went. But no, I would tell you, I think that that group is still intact and we still, and we're capable of continuing to act as necessary. It, it, maybe the bigger question is, you know, is there a, rust, a, a rustling of change within the Republican conference? Um, that's a little murkier, Daniel, to be honest with you. As I said, there are a lot of people who are proclaiming how great the stuff is that we've gotten. And but and, and there are actually some folks that are more in the middle of moderate or, or the, the insiders uh, who are not dummies, by the way, uh, within the conference who worked through some of this stuff on behalf of McCarthy. And I think there's some, there's some, that's probably a useful breakthrough. I, I, um, I think that more can be developed out of that. I think they know they've got to contend with those of us who are not going to just sit here and do nothing. And I think they want to figure out a way that it was, there were some surprising conversations. There was about a three or four hour t uh, conversation with the, the few of us had back, you know, well before we got to the floor with the leadership fight um, with folks from the Tuesday group, which is one of the moderate groups yep. in here. And not everybody that was there was falls in the category I'm about to describe. But some of these guys on some really significant issues agree completely with what we're saying. And I don't spend much time talking to them because I'm usually trying to figure, keep, you know, work with Freedom Caucus sure. type people. to. And so I think there's. There's always room for me to figure out what I have been doing inadequately and not pound my chest over what I've achieved, but go out and figure out how can we continue to cut into this problem and produce better results. I don't want to be Pollyanna about it or be understood as saying that, uh, oh, it's all sunshine and roses. I think the cosmetic sort of rah-rah nature of politics and organizing around a I just it doesn't appeal to me very much. I don't <laughs> think it has much credibility with people. I think most people out there at this stage would just like to hear some honesty. And uh, so that's what I deal in. I'm plain as an old shoe. I don't care anything about a chairmanship or some position. I don't need anything. I don't want anything except to get out of here as soon as, you know, and when I say as soon as I'm talking <laughs> I'm not, people, <laughs> Fox News put out that I had said I was resign. I would resign if I didn't get my way. I didn't say that. I, what I said is if we're not moving, if we can't make real progress, and I was talking about over a period of years, 
here in the same way that sure. has occurred in North Carolina with Republican-led legislature, as Wisconsin has made progress over the years, you can think about where progress has undeniably been made. If you're not moving in a direction like that, then I'm getting out. There's no purpose. To that That's the point. So at some point, you have to fire the bullets in your gun. And I think that's the lesson I'm hoping state legislatures, conservatives, Freedom Caucus guys in these new state legislatures are taking as well. You can't just be a potted plant. You can't just think, well, I'm in the minority. No one thinks like me. you got to force those issues. And, and like you said, it's interesting. You will find some in the moderate groups that – Anything that emanates from our mouth they think is crazy, but then when they we sit down with it, well, since when was it right-wing to say that those um, that get government funding, marketing beyond any product in the history of humanity um, should get at least the same level of liability – uh, as Toyota? I mean, you know, right. talking about pharma, like, th- th- I, is, I is that a right-wing about. idea, yeah. you know? Um, I, I don't think so, and you're right. I, I think a lot of these ideas are not right-wing and, I, and, and to the point, I think if you approach it with a little humility, um, it, even that helps it, it, because there is a tendency upon, among the people who think more as you and I do to sit around in sackcloth and ashes and beat our breasts and talk about how pure we are. Um, yep. And frankly, that doesn't solve a problem either. I think you've got to be prepared to, you know, if you, somebody's going to be mad with me for, uh, for saying I'm not coronating kevin mccarthy just because he's been in the pecking order for 14 years and and they want to turn the last notch or uh, i'm not going to join that they can be mad Uh, they can say tell me how that's going to you know open up the possibility of republicans going over and making laws with the democrats and whatever not going to go along with it but on the other hand i'm not going to go do things that are just to be reckless they're not going to do things to just crash the plane into the building you know what i'm saying no, I mean, and, and I think that's what people saw, that this was very strategic, that the tools are great, that we have the strongest hand going into the must-pass legislation, debt ceilings, government funding bills, farm bills, reauthorization bills, than we've ever really had because, you A, you have that funnel in the, in the Rules Committee, and B, the prerogative to force amendment votes. So we always had this kind of take-it-or-leave-it from leadership and these false choices um, you know, where they like to pretend to be conservative, but then not. So this will force tough votes that either they'll have to go along with us or they'll be tagged as what they really are. And to me, that's kind of the best we could achieve uh, with the understanding that we really are a very small minority of the conference. But then again, right. there are some that will probably follow. There are followers. And hopefully with that strong leadership, um, I want to just ask you one policy issue. Um, and I want to because it seems like you're you're a straight shooter. You're, you'll tell me whether you're confident or not in the future of this. I mean, there's never been an issue like COVID in our entire lives. I mean, something right. that has been. You know, I always say I'm pro-life, but the, the, what we are seeing with the death signals from the shots and the future yeah. mRNA that they plan on coming out with as early as this year, and the biomedical tyranny and the transhumanism, all this stuff. This really is the new pro-life issue. And given the magnitude of the information we have, the consequential nature of it to humanity, I'm kind of floored that it's not even like number 10, even among conservatives who talk about policies. Yeah. It's almost like this never happened, which is kind of bizarre. What do you know about this? And, and I know this is not so much your because it's not judiciary. It's oversight select subcommittee on coronavirus. Do you have confidence that 
people like us, people like Senator Ron Johnson, will finally get an airing of the evidence we have on vaccine injury? So that's a that's a fantastic question, Daniel. And and I will I will confirm your concerns by saying I'm not I'm not the guy who knows. And you you anticipated that to some degree. I agree with what you with the way you you uh, with your uh, setup to that 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 it is that we, we've sort of gotten past the immediacy of it. Many of us sit around and sort of scratch our heads about emergency power, public health bureaucracy, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, how could you take America and the foundational ideas behind it and suddenly have population control hit like that, you know, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And, and, and Death now rates that it up, has birth happened, rates down. I mean, that, that's universal sure. at this point. The question yeah. is why. Right. And, and there's, a, there's a technical aspect to it, to be honest with you. So, you know, I, it's not I, guns, taxes uh, and abortion. So, you know, exactly. You it's don't have that muscle that can, memory. I, right. It's not one that I know for sure the answers to as a matter of my reason and and able to being able to recapitulate evidence. I watched that young man, the, the uh, Hamlin or whatever, who you know, and, and then you then there's a, a, a cop that drops dead at 38 or something. And he just keeps seeing these things. And you and I'm waiting for somebody to who's got the competence to really put it together. Yeah. But my gut is where you're describing. And um, and I don't know that anybody's got a strategy for how do you go, how do you go fix the infrastructure of our society? Well, liability, words, I think that, PrEP Act, emergency powers. Yeah. I mean, these yeah. are pretty big things that you could have the government endorse partner with mandate to a large degree um purchase but then you don't have it balanced out with like even the degree of liability that a product that doesn't have government uh subsidies and endorsement for i mean i think that's a big issue if it's you know anything that's safe and effective i mean you know these toyota airbags every second they're recalling them and they cost them a lot of money and who knows if they're even problematic um, yet somehow, I mean, even what CDC sure. admits from theirs and VSAFE, just the signals we have 100% are, are shocking yeah. beyond belief. I'm just a little bit, I don't know if I'd say disappointed, but but questioning, you know, the lockdowns are kind of yesterday's issue. I, it's all important yeah. to talk about, but this is this is a live ball, and, and they're continuing with this, and I'm just very concerned that somehow a lot of people have slept through this issue. Um, and, and you know, I, again, well, but, we're all for abortion, guns, and taxes, those issues. But, right. you know, at some point, you got to well, confront the challenges of the time. Yeah, no, I think, you're, I think it's well taken. Let me say this about it. Um, what, you know, and there's a little bit of a, of a turf issue here. The Oversight Committee will handle that, and, and not so much judiciary, and not even – well – we have the the subcommittee and exactly what it's going to go into, but that has been that has been on the lips of Chip Roy all along as we've been talking about the component of this, yep. uh, what this subcommittee should do that it that it's got to get into digging out and and structuring the information and getting a, a broad awareness of just how badly you know how much how how mind blowing. Uh, the harm is that was allowed to occur in response to this COVID epidemic, pandemic. 
And and so I think we'll we will you know I'll learn more in that process. I think what you've said about you know we've got to return to holding people accountable who cause grave injury, and you can't you know just toss that in the trash can when you're talking about something that's been sufficiently panic-inducing uh, at the national level. But I, actually, I think Daniel, the problem, and I saw it in my own state. I went back and looked at our own emergency statute when the democratic governor was starting to make orders in North Carolina, it was a piece of trash, that statute. And yep. in, in State a nation that was born need to, need to do this. And, and we've come out, I've come out with a Congress. list of about 30 ideas that state legislatures need to do. And I, I think you're right. A lot of the tyranny came there. I'm talking about more the biomedical security. I state. do understand what you're saying. You know, yeah. like one thing, and, and did you have three more minutes? I know I've taken so much time. Of I yours. We've gone over time because I want to transpose this into one more issue. I'm curious to get okay. your thoughts on, and that's the yeah. defense Intel establishment. You know, Traditionally, mm-hmm. I was always like rah 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 military, and of course, we're all into the troops. But the problem is, it's the most potent weapon. We need it, we want it. But if it gets corrupted, it's even worse than when DOJ or HHS or EPA gets corrupted. And my concern is again, you have these um, so-called defense hawks, and I say so-called because yep. you know it's just a matter of okay, just I want eight hundred sixty billion, not eight hundred fifty billion. But yep. I'm worried about DARPA, um, you know, the, the, you yeah. know things like that. What are they sure. doing? What are you know a lot it turns out even a cursory understanding of COVID, DOD was really the lead on the development of a lot of the psyops on the American people, the strategies of lockdowns, the gain of function stuff through DARPA, the biolabs we know exist in Ukraine. I mean, Fauci is kind of like the national Karen. He's like the face of it. But you know what I mean? Like, I think he's the face of the just corrupted medical establishment. But even more than Fauci and NIAID and HHS, I'm more concerned about some of the DOD operations. Do you think this could possibly be an angle for this select subcommittee or, or you know, other, other oversight venues? So the answer to that is yes. Um, and you mentioned DARPA in particular. I'm, I'm, that's a particular interest of mine uh, in, in some other subject matters beyond COVID. But I, and I don't even know what you're referring to, that they had that they were the uh, you know, that uh, defense agencies were the uh, mechanism, except what they did to the troops. I obviously know that. Maybe I'll, I've got more to learn. But sure. But the, yeah, the, the lead contracts, was, just so you know, the lead contracts with Pfizer were from DOD. The one oh, I except, do remember that the one in, in federal court in Texas, it just came out. Basically, um, someone sued Pfizer for fraud, uh, Brooke Jackson. And basically what Pfizer said is that, look, the government let us do all this. And and they were they weren't wrong. But it was actually I was surprised it was DOD, not HHS. And then also recently they bought you know more Paxlovid, which is the dubious Pfizer drug. Yep. I actually have a column out coming out today on that. And yep. that was also, believe it or not, that was a defense contract that was not HHS. And it opened up my mind. I was like, wait a minute, why are they involved in all this? So, you know, it, it just, let, I, I guess more to see. just zoom it out generally, my yep. concern is that the conservative dogma from Reagan is that military good, Pentagon spending good, but don't we need to really have more oversight than, than any other department? Well, I have never drunk that Kool-Aid, and I am very dubious of that. And to the point that you that you make, here's something that I want to say about the select committee that is my object, objective for that. That is is that. And I heard a little bit of the debate on the floor, and 
the bickering that, that puts it just in starkly partisan terms. Oh, you know, it's going to be about the Hunter Biden laptop or that's small ball. What is going on in terms of the government's weaponization against the American people, yes. I think, is so much deeper and so much more profound than just a sort of partisan sniping. Oh, my gosh. It, I love that. Stop with the butt Biden, the crime family, but the Democrats. I'm not saying we right. shouldn't investigate this stuff, but I love yep. what you're saying. The betterment of outcomes for the American people, how government is harming our bottom line. I just think this sniping, it works for them against us. It never works when yep. we do it to them. It just doesn't. We don't win on that. 100%. But if we can get the depth of this and we can get at it. That's, you know, my friend Thomas Massey, we were having a conversation. I don't know if you know Thomas. I'm sure you do from of Kentucky. Course, yeah. He's he's a genuine uh, uh, antagonist to the massive government intrusion <laughs> upon our life. He he we, you know, he says, you know, he can't quite figure out, even given everything that we've done so far, and it's just a first step, whether this is going to turn out to be real or fake. We're not good. We, and, and so we think that has the potential to be real. But what that means is. <laughs> there are going to be guys out there who are going to curate everything we they want us to see, and they're going to log jam us and, and, and stonewall us and try to cajole us into just taking pablum. He and I don't intend to do that, and we're going to be in Jim Jordan's ears. Jim runs the thing. So that's the best I can tell you. And for those people who are patriots out there want to see something really change, you know, come at us. I mean, t tell us what we're when we're not getting it right. Yep. Uh, we're not getting it deep enough. I'm glad to hear all of that. Resist the temptation, though, to say, oh, you guys are just another yes. uh, cosmetic nothing. Because if you once you adopt that level or surrender to that level of cynicism, however justified it might be, I don't know how we battle back. Exactly. You have uh, to have some answer. What would you do? And that's what I was telling people. If you genuinely felt it was worth knocking out McCarthy in the end, you had to give that impression to begin with. Otherwise, you had no leverage. Then I respect that. But, you know, I brought the other side of it that we did have a concern that, you know, McCarthy is not the only problem per se. It's a reflection of the conference. The GOP is the problem. And, you know, yep. you get someone else. I don't know. It was clear we would have had as much, much less, more leverage with. It's not like you're going to be a speaker, or Chip's going to be a speaker, or Massey's right. going to be a speaker. And I think we yep. all knew that. So that was, you know, it's a judgment call, and I respect both sides. But I like the balance yep. you're providing. That look, we have an opportunity. We have our foot in the door. But now we got to fight yep. for it. We got to push substance, and that's why rather than just sitting on the side being a thumb sucker, oh, I don't think that was enough. I'm like, hey, let me put forward my ideas. You guys come in, you know, you're going to have limited staff, even though you get a budget. So it's great to bring in people. I think the greatest thing about the COVID stuff is we have an entire new movement of very smart researchers that were never really kind of the named like heritage foundation or whatever. Um, unfortunately, some of these legacy groups were kind of absent. And I think a lot of, there's a lot of like just kitchen table moms that I've had on the That's show fine. that have done great work. And, Hopefully we yep. can bring that in in-house. That's, that's, I think all that is true. And, you know, last point, Daniel, if I can just say it. Uh, when we started to try to start something like this, and it's, it is vestigial and fledgling, uh, the most appreciated thing in the world is when someone like you, and I think you're the first guy to do it, comes out and responds to the guy, you know, the guy who wants to change the Constitution with an Article 5 convention, but he thought it was just too 
it was it was just beyond uh, unacceptably perilous to consider delaying for a couple of days the coronation of Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> uh, you know who I'm talking about. But you were the first guy out there who said, that's, that's not dumb at all. These guys, it's high time. It's past time. And, and those voices are more welcome than you can imagine when you're up against the wall. Bingo. Bingo. That's what it is. We have a chance, an opportunity, if we can keep it and make something of it. Congressman Dan Bishop, thanks so much. This was what a, what a terrific conversation. Really looking forward to having you back again. I'm glad I'll look forward to that too, Daniel. Thank you, sir. Take care. God bless. So again, that was Dan Bishop, congressman from North Carolina, 8 Mecklenburg County. He was the author of the original uh, sanity and bathroom bill in North Carolina. Um, let me know your thoughts about that interview. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. I, I, for one, found that really refreshing. So just so you know, this was totally spontaneous. I, I've messaged with him before. I never spoke with him, and I certainly never saw him in person. Um, he is, uh, Thomas Massey once told me he is his favorite member of Congress. It was really refreshing. It was, it, this is a type of conversation I literally would have had privately, like nothing different. This is exactly the sort of conversation I would have had privately, except it was in front of tens of thousands of people. And he is just, he's a real Southern gentleman. And he, he's just a straight shooter. I'll tell you, like, yeah, I don't know about this. I don't, whatever. But his brain is exactly where I am. On the one hand, my understanding is, along with Chip and a few others, he was one of the lead negotiators on this agreement. But on the other hand, he's, I wouldn't say he's muted on it, but he's kind of very balanced, exactly the balance I am. Look, it was worth having the fight. We achieved a lot. In his judgment, that was you know worth kind of stopping the fight at that point. You know, could be Andy Biggs, maybe a couple others disagree. Um, but to me, in the scheme of things, that shouldn't matter that much. But you got to fight for it now. There's a lot of opportunities, but the key is we need our members to focus on the right issues, and it requires. See, I could. I could be a reverse thumbsucker. The same way, you know, I criticize these people for refusing to join a fight and they just sit off and criticize the fight. I could criticize the people who made the fight but then stopped it at a point and like, well, it doesn't matter anyway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And and you know how passionately I believe the federal government is broken. But I've explained to you several ways I believe this could be helpful and not just in the abstract getting a seat at the table in a federal organ, but helping our agenda of red-pilling people, information warfare, um, pushing the Overton window with legislation. But it's going to take people like us educating. Like He was very candid on COVID. He's like, yeah, I kind of get the sense that this is going on, but he hasn't studied it. And even a lot of our best guys really haven't. So many things have happened in the last two weeks that I've been busy on this, and I get the sense that if I didn't focus on it day after day, I would miss it too. This stuff is, it's, it's a small crowd that's really focusing on this. But these are people willing to listen to us. That's the key. They're willing to listen, learn, understand, and fight. So I feel a certain almost franticness that, wow, I really got to get my stuff together and get our best evidence, get our best ideas, and present it to these people. And this is what I'm doing all day both in state legislatures and in Congress, trying to get what we know in front of people and, you know, get them engaged.
But again, it's going to take focusing on the right issues, the 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 right sort of uh, weapons. It can't just be guns, taxes, and abortion. As I explained, abortion was viewed as the linchpin of 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 life. But now they have a bigger one. The entire depopulation, transhumanism, biomedical tyranny, vaccines, mRNA. I mean, this is crazy. I want to play here two clips. First, take a listen to our buddy Bansel. He is Stefan Bansel. He is the CEO of Moderna. Take a listen to his new exciting ideas. As you say, cardiology. We have now in a clinic a super exciting program when we inject mRNA in people's heart after a heart attack to grow back new blood vessels to help revascularize the heart. So it's a bit like science fiction medicine, but that's what so is really exciting to me. But the, the other side of this is that right now Moderna, though it has this pipeline, has one commercial product, and that's the spike vax. That's the actual COVID vaccination. So that's the irony of COVID is it really has in some ways allowed you to go and develop these other areas because of the revenues that came through the door. You're 100% right. So there you have it. Heart attacks and melanoma they're working on. I know cancer. Now, you might say, well, there's no spike protein involved in, in these mRNA. But the spike protein is not nearly the only issue. So we know that the problem is that the lipid nanoparticles are extremely pro-inflammatory and they go everywhere. They go, it goes everywhere. Meaning, in theory, it's a nice idea. You code the body to produce good things, you know, regenerative healing things for the growth for the heart. That sounds great. But the problem is what we've, and this is no longer a supposition, that we, we, we've learned this definitively they don't have the ability to shut it off, meaning shut it off in terms of where it goes, shut it off in terms of how much, and shut it off in terms of how long. There's nothing that the body could produce, no matter how good it is, especially if it's good, because if it's good, usually it's very a potent weapon in the body that is good in all quantities, locations, and, and time periods. So whatever you're coding the body to produce, what happens if it keeps producing? Well, that's what it's going to do. This is literally, and, and, and that's before we even get into this whole reverse transcription into the DNA. All this stuff is still a concern, not just a concern, but almost a definitive concern with any other mRNA platform, therapeutic or vaccine that you use, regardless of whether it has a pathogenic spike. But, you know, what I just said right now is a little bit too technical for a lot of people who didn't study it. We need our members to engage. It's a lot easier to say I'm against abortion. But this is a much bigger pro-life issue because you can't get away from it. They're doing it to you. Self-spreading vaccines. But even without that, I get heartbreaking emails every day from people in red states. Actually, I got one from North Carolina um, yesterday. A woman who said her daughter can't go to a nursing school. Worked so hard and you know can't actualize her dream because they have the mandate there. Republicans have a supermajority in one house. They're one short of a supermajority in, in the other body. I forget which is which. But there are a couple of vulnerable Democrats there that, you know, you forcefully push an issue. They have they could achieve veto-proof majorities around something like this. They need to push that. Ending those mandates in, in law school, uh, nursing school, medical school, all these things. 
So I, I loved Congressman Bishop's candor. It's like, you know, I wish I could tell you they're all for this, but here's the tools we have, and this is what we're going to use, and he's willing to listen. You know, you go to guns. Guns are great against criminals, but it's not the palladium of liberty anymore. We have less liberty, more guns. It, that's just how society is now. The modernization of weaponry, you're never going to achieve equality with the FBI. I mean, you can't outshoot them. So it's no longer, I mean, you got to start interposition and denuding them of their power is more important for liberty than, than just pure guns. And taxes. Taxes is not nearly the biggest way government gets their meat hooks in us. Like I said, just the global warming regs alone are a greater tax on the American people than taxes. We have the lowest tax burden, you know, unless you're in one of these blue states, but most states, in conjunction with the federal system, after the Reagan tax cuts, the Bush tax cuts, the Trump tax cuts, we have the lowest tax burden we've ever had. Because they just do deficit spending. So, you know, A, that was viewed as a liberty issue, but it was also viewed as a tool to limit government. But that's no longer true. It's decoupled. I'm not saying you can't be for lower taxes for the strongest, you know, you know, pro-gun measures and the strongest abortion measures or anti-abortion measures as you could, as is practical, practicable to push. But what I do resent are all these members that are great on those three issues, but they're horrible on all the issues that actually matter more to achieving the original goals of why the Republicans were you know, so strong on those issues. Conservatives were strong on those issues. Life, liberty, economy, values, you know, the basic freedoms, that's what we need to push. So, you know, I'm excited just because I actually have a seat at the table in the sense that I could go to people with a platform of some sort of power and we can work together and I can say, hey, are you seeing this? Are you seeing that? Are you seeing this? Um, and I'm very interested to see who's going to be on that select subcommittee on coronavirus. And, th and that's the best we can do. I'm just saying, if I were just to tell you, it doesn't matter, it sucks, I'm not, I don't care, and I'm just going to say Republicans suck all day, which I'm going to continue saying, by the way. But I'm also going to work the issues. Because if I would do that, I'd be just as guilty as the Hannity's of the world. And, you know just from the opposite end, the minute I don't think I can make a difference in some sphere, then there's no point in me doing this. I'm not just here to commentate and entertain as others are. I'm here to make a difference, and this is where you could help me. Raise red flags. Um, a lot of you who served in the military are sending me great ideas, great ideas about the military, energy, what you think needs to be done, things that are forgotten. Like I said, simple ideas like repealing the Patriot Act. Repealing the TSA, you know, we used to have private contractors, or if you think private would do the same reform and make a bill of rights, traveler's bill of rights, things, ideas, I'm just thinking of every day, simple ideas that would grab people. Again, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com is the email, and um, you could tweet at me at rmconservative, I sometimes check it, not always, it's kind of hard, but folks, you know, I... I think Dan Bishop, whether you like what he said or not, he gave it to you straight. Exactly what the benefits are and what, what you know, they're not. Now, again, some of you might say, well, if he's kind of, you know, says it's a six on a scale from one to ten, not a nine, like I originally said, well, you know, maybe, maybe you should have just joined and and just stayed with the fight to 
push out McCarthy. Like I told you, it's not clear we could have pushed him out. And I, I really, anything you're, I'm, I'm just going to say this, anything you're bothered by, by the shortcomings of, of this, it absolutely would have applied to whoever else you would have gotten as a speaker. Because it's, it's fundamentally the same structure, that we only have 40 Freedom Caucus members out of 222, and you know the rest of them are largely horrible. And even among those 40, they're not necessarily so schooled on a lot of the important issues either. And they have a lot to learn as well that we're finding this. I'm finding this in legislatures as well. So I'm more excited because I just feel like all the work that we've accumulated together, we could have our foot in the door to try to make a difference. But again, I have not taken my, taken my eye off the ball. Let me give you an example. I'm still pushing national divorce and red pilling. I'm just trying to see how this could be used as a tool towards that outcome. So a great example is uh, the Greater Idaho Movement. Breaking off Eastern Oregon to Idaho, uh, they just got their 12th county on the ballot in May in a couple months, and and they'll pass it overwhelmingly. They got enough signatures, so we'll probably have our 12th county out of the 15. The hope is to get 15. Dennis Linthicum, a friend of mine, he's a state senator in Oregon, he introduced, um, it's like HJ2 or something, or SJ2, uh, the bill to incorporate this and start negotiations with Idaho. Now, I know you're going to say, well, the Democrat legislature is never going to bring it up. But again, this is the next step. And I don't know if mechanically we're going to make it happen. It's going to take the people in eastern Oregon to start taking that power a little bit for themselves, if you know what I mean, autonomously, saying we're not doing things, civil disobedience. And it's a push-pull. The more you push it, the more you say, let our people go, the more you demonstrate how unhappy you are, maybe some will listen to you. I mean, I think... Everything Dan said is true. There is a little bit, and I see it, and I can name you some of the members that we would consider rhinos. We're like, wow, maybe you guys have a point. But you got to emphatically make the case. Take it to the brink. Come with your best arguments. Come with your best policies. Demonstrate how terrible it is and the dichotomy between the terrible nature of our current policies and give a vision of what it should look like. And you use as much leverage and platforms and media and social media not just a vote, but a voice, to disseminate that. And that's the best you can do. Ultimately, we're, outcomes are never for us, they're for God. Our job is to try to walk in his ways and, 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 and push for what's right. Outcomes are for God. You've got to remember that. Um, and, and I think the feeling among ourselves is that we put enough irons in the fire with the committee structure, with the elevation of... You know, the best Freedom Caucus members like like Bishop, Massey, um, and, and Roy and some of these others to the, these positions and rules committee, and then the prerogative to uh, introduce amendments that will embarrass them. All this together, locking them in on debt ceiling and government funding fights, it's enough irons in the fire that if we pursue it in a smart way and don't let up, we hope God will bless our efforts with a... With, uh, auspicious outcomes. But but what I'm not telling you and what Congressman Bishop was not telling you is that, in other words, we're not treating this the way the thumbsuckers treat their stuff. Like when Republicans win an election, oh, we're, we're down to the promised land. Like, no, you won nothing. Now you got to fight for it. Same thing here. Oh, we, we, we did Newton McCarthy of the power. We have more power than ever before. No, I mean, 
you know, um, to me, we have a great opportunity, but now you got to make the plays. You got possession of a ball in certain fields. Now make the plays. And just so you know, this is why I had such an agenda, and I'm going to be open about it, to minimize any differences within the 20. Because it's so important we keep that structure away and smooth over any hard feelings. And I, I emailed some of the guys that were part of the ones that wanted to you know, accept the deal. And I said, look, I actually am inclined to agree with you, but make sure you give the credit to the Never McCarthy's because that was the only way we got it. And I want to make it clear that it's they were willing to take it to the next level. That's even why we got this that I strategically think was ironically the better outcome. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. We got to preserve that degree of unity um, within the margins where you could work together. And that's the thing. I'm never going to stop calling the balls and strikes. But if you only do that, you're nothing but a thumb sucker. I could be very popular doing that. I could make the money I make doing it, which is modest, but I could earn my living doing that. I don't need to spend all the labor studying policy ideas, formulating them, writing them, and then getting on the phone all day with the time I have to try to pitch them to as many people. I don't get paid to do that, really. That's not, you know, I'm technically paid as a conservative media guy. So I just do media. Um, but as you well know, we're, we're part of this, and that's what conaction.network is. Uh, the more people who sign up for the teams, and particularly the more willing to lead teams, or even if you're willing to co-lead a team, I could put two, three people together, say, all right, you start your committee, call a meeting, here's the email addresses, reach out to them, however many respond, you got your team, and now focus on making your red state red, your state legislature great. I'll give you my policy ideas, you update me every few days on kind of what you're seeing down there, we'll work together. And with God's help, we will make a difference. Folks, we're bad out of time. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.